HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at cheesestateuniversity.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos. The Feed Feed is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Heather Mubarak. Heather is a baker, photographer, recipe developer, and brand new cookbook author. You may know Heather from her very popular baking blog, Brown Butter Blondie. Her debut cookbook called Stuffed, The Sandwich Cookie Book is the first ever cookbook solely dedicated to sandwich cookies. It features 65 whimsical recipes for every occasion and craving, including both sweet and savory cookies. Heather, I am so excited to talk to you about everything, but especially how you came up with 65 different sandwich cookie recipes. <laughs> so talk about talk about a niche. I love it. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for having me on, Alexa. I'm so happy to be here. Um, always excited to talk to people in the feed feed community about what I love to do. Um, one of those things being make cookies. Um, yes. yes. So yeah, so um, you know, I think the inspiration from my book, if we just want to get right into it, um, there are a zillion cookie books already out there, as we all yes. know, um, so many. And so I knew that I wanted to write a book about cookies for my first cookbook, um, but I knew I also had to make it different in some special way. So I kind of um, figured out a way to, to do cookies, but with a twist, and that's how Stuffed came along. Um, it's basically an entire book filled with sandwich cookies. So not only do you get one cookie, you get two cookies and a filling. <laughs> it's even better. It's like a three in one. Yes. I love that. So let's go back to the very, very beginning of when, first of all, where did you grow up and what was kind of your family background? I'm trying to paint the picture of what your culinary history was. So let's start from the very beginning about where you grew up and what kind of foods you grew up eating. 
Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm from Southern California. I grew up here in San Diego or just outside of San Diego, a little bit north. Um, grew up in a pretty, you know, traditional street with uh, mom and dad and a sister and a beagle. <laughs> um, and yeah, we um, we really were, I would, I mean, I, I wouldn't classify my family necessarily when I was growing up as foodies. I think it's something that we all sort of grew into as we as, as my parents aged, I know, and then they introduced us into, introduced us to more, um, you know, food experiences as we grew up and started traveling as a family. Um, but yeah, my mom was kind of the day-to-day cook. Dad was the one that would step in for special occasions. And, you know, when he had time, when he wasn't working and he'd make, you know, more special dishes that I remember sharing around the table with friends and family, things like London broil and Chiopino was his favorite. Um, anything with seafood was his favorite. Um, and we also grew up sharing a lot of meals with my grandparents, um, on my mom's side. They actually lived just about a mile away from us when we were growing up. Mm -hmm. So we would go to their house for Sunday night dinner pretty much every week, as far as I can remember. Um, and my grandfather used to make this roast chicken that would literally change your life. It was (laughs) the best thing ever. Uh, I still can taste it. I, you know, it's been years since my grandfather was alive and, or made roast chicken for us, but it was so good. And my grandmother was the baker like me. I, I think I got the baking bug from her. Oh. She used to make this lemon bunt cake that was just absolute heaven. And her strawberry pie was, I mean, it would win any blue ribbon contest anywhere. It was amazing. Well, look at that. So grandma is where you start. Did she kind of teach you baking tips when you were little or were you baking with her? Or when did you kind of catch yeah. that bug from her? Um, we spent a lot of time with my grandparents, you know, they would have us over for sleepovers and, you know, all the holidays and, you know, like I said, just Sunday suppers. Um, but yeah, I did spend some time in the kitchen with her. I don't know. I don't really have memories of necessarily, you know, going into the kitchen and putting on an apron and having her, you know, take me through a recipe step by step. But we were definitely around when she was making her goodies. And I obviously picked a few things up uh, along the way. Um, but yeah, it was, there was always something sweet at grandma's house, it, whether it's cookies or that strawberry pie, or she would make brownies a lot. Um, and my mom also, I think I followed her lead as far as the sweet tooth goes, because my mom was definitely a, you know, always some little sweet thing after dinner every day, either a piece of chocolate or a chocolate chip cookie. Um So yeah, the sweet side definitely comes from my mom and my grandmother. Okay. Well, I totally respect like the sweet thing being an absolute necessity after dinner. My family makes so much fun of me for that because like I fully cannot avoid it. Like I absolutely, you have to. People who say you don't need a little dessert or like a tiny little treat after dinner are just lying. (laughs) I stand by that so hardcore. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, it's just a given for me. It's I, it's like an, it's like a light switch for me. I'll eat my dinner and then it's just a trigger. It's like, okay, what's for dessert? And and sometimes I just need like a nice piece of really good quality dark chocolate. But you know what? Honestly, more days than not, I have a chocolate chip cookie every day and it's usually for dessert. Hey, I actually had like another podcast guest one time who challenged me because I have like a very strong candy addiction. I am Uh, like absolutely addicted to candy. Um, any kind, you know, I kind of, it's people laugh at me because I don't discriminate. (laughs) No, I don't discriminate. I love like a pectin based candy. I love chocolate. I, I love it all, but I literally always have candy on me. And I had a podcast guest one time challenge me for not that it's healthier, but more, 
I guess, less processed to have like an actual, if I really need a dessert after dinner to have like an actual baked food or like prepared sweet food rather than just like gummy corn syrup and food coloring yeah. type thing. <laughs> and I right. I failed so miserably on that. Like, I, I'm so sorry. Like, I love a baked good. Don't get me wrong. But I right. still, my candy addiction is still going strong. But yes, in some schools of thought, having like a baked cookie or like a treat like that is, you know, for however you want to call it, I guess, slightly better for you than just processed candy or something like that. So, hey, maybe you're you're onto something with the chocolate yeah, chip cookies. Yeah. That's what I well, need to. Well, you know, you probably are reaching for the candy sometimes because it's just quicker and easier, right, than baking oh. a batch of cookies. But you need to upgrade your freezer stash and get some cookie dough in there so you can just pop one in the oven when you want it. That is absolutely accurate. You are 100% right. <laughs> it's, I, have, I have candy on me all the time, like just a little variety bag. People think I'm like deranged because I pretty much always have like a like a grocery bag full of different types of candy in it. Like it's, I make Halloween for myself as much as possible. Um, <laughs> but this is my cross to bear it. and it's my number one vice. And, you know, I'm just going to keep hey, that. Hey, there are worse <laughs> things. There are worse exactly. things. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. But anyway, so you having a sweet treat after dinner totally speaks to my soul. And I appreciate that about you. And so when did you decide, you know, what, kind of happened in your career to get you to this point where you were becoming a recipe developer and kind of turning your love of baking into a line of work? When did that happen? Um, so I did a, um, a lot of sales jobs, I think when, um, when I was first married and out of school and then, um, early on when I had my kids. Um, but then actually in 2000, let's see, gosh, 2009, my food journey sort of began. Um, I started packaging a uh, English almond toffee that was a secret family recipe and started selling that, um, wholesale and, you know, online. Um, so that's kind of where it all started in terms of the food. I, I actually bought a commercial kitchen. I was cranking out thousands of pounds of toffee every year. Um, and I sold the business actually in 2014 and I stayed on for a couple of years as head of sales, um, to help them continue to make the business grow. And then my time was up. So in 2016, I found myself suddenly without a job or, you know, the business that I'd built from scratch, which was crazy. Um, and I spent about a year kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And my, my husband made me promise I would take a year to just do nothing because um, it was very bad at doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not in my nature to not, you know, be working or tinkering with some sort of creative um, adventure of sorts. So I did, I took the time off. I kind of just just, I was mom for a while and, um, did some hobbies on the side that I enjoyed with my free time. And then, um, I just kind of got the itch again. And I ultimately, I think I tried to steer myself away from a job that would require me being in a kitchen, but I think that that's just where I'm happiest. So I just started doing some research, um, didn't know anything about blogging. I just knew that I had, you know, this insatiable sweet tooth and I love to bake still. And, um, I was really happy that I had time now to bake things other than making toffee. So I just kind of decided I was going to start a blog and then I got an Instagram account and I started doing the food photography and it kind of just all went from there. Yeah. So what year was that, that you kind of started that? I started the blog in 2018. Okay. All right. And then when did it start kind of becoming a success or something that you realized you could definitely kind of work with? 
Yeah. Um, you know, it was crazy in the beginning. Um, I found a lot of, you know, small successes along the way. And then within six months, I was already getting offers from brands to work with brands for, you know, um, on socials, um, to promote their products. And, um, that was really exciting. And I was like, okay, wow, this is actually something that could work. Um, it takes a while obviously to build a following, um, especially in the baking space. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, you do have to have some patience and a good work ethic. And, um, I think the thing that I found pretty quickly was that, wow, I really want this to take off. It can't be a hobby. It has to be like a full-time job, you know, yeah. it can't just be something that I just going to do on the side, you know, when I'm bored, it has to be something that I'm doing all the time. So, um, yeah, I just kind of kept at it. And then, um, again, the brand partnerships continued to, to grow and, um, the blog was getting traction. I was getting more subscribers for my newsletter. Um, and then just over time, it just kind of continued to grow. I kind of found my niche in terms of my Instagram. I have a lot of followers that love chocolate as much as I do. Yes. So um, that's kind of been my my little niche. Um, yeah. And then um, during the pandemic, I just decided I let's write a book. So I kind of went down that path, which has been crazy. Yeah. And yeah, I've had the pleasure to speak to many cookbook authors, you know, here on the podcast. And all I would say the biggest takeaway from anybody I've spoken to who's written a cookbook is how much of a labor of love it is and how much work and time and meticulous testing and, you know, all that goes into it. But what would you say to someone who maybe is interested in a cookbook? Like what was kind of the most shocking thing about it to you that you did not realize before you were part of it? Um, gosh, so many things. Um, being a first time author, it was such a learning process. I mean, there, there was just so much to learn along the way. Um, which is fine. I like being out of my comfort zone. So for me that, that worked. Um, and I think that like you were saying, it's, it's so overwhelming. There's so many facets to it. There's the recipe development and there's the photography if you're doing it yourself. And there's the actual, you know, writing of the text in the book, including the recipes, which can get, you know, very mundane and boring (laughs) when you're doing those, you know, that little tedious work. Um, but it is, it is a little all consuming. And I think I actually wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. I thought, Oh, I got this. Like I'm, I'm a hard worker. Like, you know, I I'm happy to work 24 seven all the time and really dig in and, you know, but it really consumes your entire life. I mean, I, you have a debt, you have deadlines, like, you know, all the time. And to stay on top of those, you just have to make sure that nothing else in your life is getting in the way of, of you meeting your deadline. So, um, you know, and, um, I can be a bit of a procrastinator. So sometimes that became (laughs) an issue, but, um, but I did meet all my deadlines. Good. Honestly, deadlines as a fellow procrastinator, deadlines are what we need because if it's just up to us, it'll never get done. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The deadlines were everything. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, it's just, it's a lot of work, but boy, I tell you, when you turn that final manuscript in, it is, there's just no other feeling like it. I mean, the pride that you feel when you've put together something like that from start to finish is amazing. Wow. And what did it feel like? You know, I know it's hitting the shelves. Well, by the time this episode is out, you know, in a matter of days, but I'm sure you've had a, you have a copy, you've held it. What did that feel yes, like to have yes. that in your hands? Oh my gosh. You know, I actually got my, um, first copy from the publisher the day after Thanksgiving. 
Um, so it was like a surreal Thanksgiving weekend because I was just so thankful and grateful to have, you know, that all that hard work behind me and to see the fruits of all my labor. So it was really exciting. Um, you know, it's really different when you see it, honestly, on a computer screen, everything just digital. And then all of a sudden somebody puts it on paper for you and sends you a hard copy. I was just blown away. Um, at how I, I just love how it turned out, you know, all the little things that I thought I might not like, and then I got it in my hands and I was like, Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, that's so exciting. Congratulations. I'm so, you. you know, happy to hear that you're so thrilled with it and that, you know, it was all worth it for you. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of work to be done as far as promotion and everything else, yes. but just the fact that you did it and, you know, it'll live on in perpetuity is a huge, huge accomplishment. And yeah, just congratulations on that. That's incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. hundred percent. It was um, totally worth it. I'm, I'm super excited for people to bake from it. Yes. So tell me, we talked a little bit about why you wanted it to be a sandwich cookie book because, you know, there are so many cookie books and you wanted to do something a little different, but Tell me a little more about that. Like, how did you nail down that that was what you wanted the book to be? How did you come up with 65 sandwich cookie recipes? What was kind of like the actual, the nitty gritty of getting this idea out into the world, which is, I got to say, one of the most unique cookbook concepts I've ever heard of. So tell me about that. Oh, I'm so glad. Um, Well, you know, it's funny when you start posting things on your blog and on your Instagram and you're, you know, getting some traction with your followers um, you kind of start to see what they like and what they don't like and what they're gravitating towards. And I did notice that every time I did sandwich cookie on the blog, I got a lot of traction and a lot of engagement with that. People really liked them for, you know, whatever reason, they just like the idea of two cookies instead of one. And they like the idea of a filling being involved. So, um, that's kind of where the first, like, I kind of had like a light bulb moment. I was like, wow, people really like these little sandwich cookies, you know, that I'm doing. So, And then when I kind of nailed down finally what I wanted to do in terms of my first book, and I really did want to do a cookie book, even though there are so many out there and so many amazing cookie books out there. um, Again, I just knew that I had to go down a path that was different because if I brought my cookies out, you know, just as cookies, people might not, they'd be, oh, I've got book, I've got cookie books. I don't need any more. So I wanted to give people a reason, you know, a fresh reason to buy this book. Um, So not only are you getting 65 cookie recipes in the book, but there's an entire chapter at the back of the book with 30 frostings, fillings, curds, jams, homemade ice creams. So it's sort of written as a choose your own adventure type of book. Um, each finished um, photo in the book shows a cookie with a certain filling or frosting that I thought was the best fit. But then you're also going to see some little mix and match prompts that can give you ideas of other things that you could use for the recipe. Oh, so yeah, so everybody gets, you know, no two, no two sweet teeth are the same or alike, you know, so you get to choose your own mix and match um, options and satisfy your cravings, you know, however you like. Yeah. So would you say this is, you know, something like that, making curds and, you know, different types of cookies other than just the basics can seem a little daunting for some folks. Would you say this is like an entry level book or is it more intermediate? How would you kind of describe the skill level um, for the book? Um, it is very accessible to all levels. Um, beginners and, you know, novice bakers are going to have a, an easy time baking their way through this book. Um, it is has very detailed uh, recipe instructions. Everything walks you through step by step for the cookies and the fillings, including the assembly of the sandwich cookies. Um, but, you know, I think experienced bakers are really going to enjoy it, too, because there's some really fun cookies in here that are, you know, have maybe more advanced techniques. There's a couple of macaron recipes in it. Um, 
you know, and then you've got all this fun stuff going on with the mixing and matching of different flavors. So there's just sort of a lot of possibilities in the book and it's just a fun, um, you know, a fun baking book for any level to bake their way through. Lovely. I love to hear that because, you know, I, I dabble in baking, but it's definitely not my expertise. And so, yeah, that sounds kind of cool that you, again, describe choosing your own adventure. And I haven't done a whole lot of in-depth baking, but I think being able to kind of experiment and push yourself with certain things that you haven't tried in a more, you know, palatable way sounds kind of ideal for someone who knows their way around a kitchen, but I definitely would not be able to like whip up any baked goods without a recipe or without like a fair bit of guidance. So it sounds like you're kind of scratching that itch for like a variety of different levels. So that's really cool. It just makes it fun. You know, you're not tied into any one flavor combo. You know, if you love chocolate, you know, but the recipe calls for vanilla buttercream, you can switch it to chocolate, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just, um, yeah, it's just kind of a fun way, I think, to kind of mix things up. Because like you said, you know, everyone has different cravings. So I think it's just fun to offer options. Yeah. And so what is your, I guess, your favorite you had to pick? It's probably like choosing a favorite child. But I guess favorite recipe from the book or like favorite combo or like something that, you know, you have in the book that's just like the number one thing. If like you're telling a friend or to give it to someone else for a gift, like, hey, tell them to make this one. Like, if it's possible for you to choose, what's kind of a standout for you? Um, oh, gosh. So, yeah, I'm getting this question a lot now that the book is really? about to come out. Um, <laughs> everyone wants to know which recipe they should try first, which one's my favorite. I have a lot of favorites, and I really try not to choose favorites because they are also <laughs> good. Um, uh, the chocolate chip cookie that I make every, almost, almost every day in my household, which is the one that is filling my freezer stash, um, is in this book. So right off the bat, that's like a go-to for me for sure. Um, it's the chocolate chip cookie that I use for the chip, Witch ice cream sandwich. Um, and I love that recipe because it uses cold butter. Um, so you can take the butter straight from the fridge and there's no chill time for the cookie dough. So All you right. can have an amazing chocolate chip cookie in minutes. It's so good. Um, but I think one of my favorite cookies, which sort of surprised me, but it was one that when I was recipe testing and then doing the photography for, I kept like going back to it and looking so forward to making it again, um, was the pumpkin spice sugar cookies. Oh my gosh, that sounds divine. Yes. Well, wait for it. They come with a brown butter cream cheese frosting. Oh my God. They're like, yeah, they're really good. And they obviously are very fall inspired. So yeah, not us craving pumpkin spice in March. (laughs) I know. I know it sounds super weird, but you try them once and trust me, you'll be making them all year long because they're so good. And they're, it's just, I'm not like a, I do like pumpkin. I like, you know, good pumpkin bread. I'm not like a, like stuff it full of pumpkin kind of girl. I like just a little hint of pumpkin. So Mm -hmm. they aren't like overwhelmingly pumpkin, if that sounds good to you but yeah they're amazing I mean it sounds divine and I I'm a like I I'm a basic bitch I will rep pumpkin spice (laughs) all day all year there's apps I have no qualms about it and yeah that sounds like an absolutely incredible recipe even I mean like you're describing you live in you live in San Diego and it's chilly it's a it's chilly and rainy like who cares? Time for pumpkin spice. Why not? I could Get absolutely make, yeah, I could absolutely make a batch of those and sit by the fire and eat them right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I love that. And that sounds absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. I mean, I personally, I, this probably sounds like sacrilege to you. If I had to pick a dessert, 
that's my favorite. I probably wouldn't even think of cookies. And you seem like cookies are, are cookies like your number one go to? Are you just like diehard cookie gal? Have you always been that way? Or why? Why the love and obsession with cookies of all things? Um, you know, I just think cookies are so accessible and like you generally always have the ingredients on hand in your pantry to whip up a batch of cookies where sometimes you get cake or something is calls for a few more specialty items. So I think just because they're so easy, but you know, I, I really did grow up making cookies all the time with my mom. She used to just make chocolate chip cookies kind of around the clock, which I think is again, why I eat one almost (laughs) every single day. Um, but yeah, I just think that. Yeah, cookie a day, you know. Um, I just, they're just, you know, easy. Everyone loves them. I make them, you know, my kids have pretty much grown up on cookies. You know, they're fun. They're um, they're just really, like I said, accessible. And, um, you know, sometimes you make a whole cake and then well, you have a slice and you're kind of over it. What are you going to do with all that cake? So, <laughs> yeah, that's you know, very fair. Um, yeah. So cookies, you can, if you make the whole batch and, you know, share them with, you know, your friends and family, um, then they disappear. If you have leftovers, you can freeze the cookies. Or if you don't want to bake off all the dough, you can put the dough in the freezer and bake one off every day as you go. Um, yeah, there's just kind of a lot of options, I think, with cookies. And um, it's just one of those things that I crave like that, just, yeah. you know, whether it's with milk or with a coffee or, you know, even a glass of red wine, like they're hey. just kind of versatile. Hey, I love that. And I think that that's, this is a me problem that I have not <laughs> embraced the cookie life as much over over my lifespan. I have nothing against cookies, but like I yeah. said, if you you know, I have a huge sweet tooth and I love dessert after meals. But if you were asking me like, oh, what are your favorite desserts? I don't think cookies would come to mind. But I think right. based on what you're describing, I just need to try making better cookies and different cookies and using them in different ways. And it, the way you're describing kind of like the ease of making them and kind of the fact that you can turn it into like single serving, small batch baking. Um, that's something that I feel like for me definitely holds me back from baking a lot is that I'm like, yeah, I don't need a whole cake. I don't need a whole pie. I don't need a whole whatever, but this whole cookie situation, I think you might be onto something, Heather. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you don't have to have the whole batch of cookies. If you do, that's fine too, but you, yeah. know, you can just portion them out um, as you need them. I'm a huge fan of the freezer stash because it really is magic. I mean, I've got bags and bags of cookies <laughs> sitting in my freezer and I'll just be like, oh, what do I feel like today? And you just bake one off. You can even bake it off in like a small countertop oven instead of turning on your big oven. Um, and then you have a warm cookie, you know, mm. to have with your almond or oat milk at night or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's the freezer stash is where it's at, Alexa. You need to get okay. So get on what, that bus. <laughs> yes. At what stage do you freeze them? You freeze them as dough or you freeze them when they're baked? So like at what point do you freeze them? I generally freeze them as dough. So I'll make okay. a batch of, of, you know, let's just say chocolate chip cookie dough, and then I'll scoop it out and portion it out. And then I'll bake, you know, a few for the family that night or whatnot. And then I'll take the rest of that dough and, you know, in the scoops. And I usually will just freeze it uh, flat. On a, I'll put the dough balls on a cookie sheet that's maybe lined with parchment or wax paper. And I'll slide that into the freezer for about an hour until it they firm up. And oh. then I'll just pop them into a freezer bag and maybe label what cookie it is and the date and pop it in the freezer. Hey, and how many do you have in your freezer at any given moment? <laughs> dozens? Oh, like a dozen. Oh, man, when I was recipe <laughs> testing, it was like ridiculous because I would recipe <laughs> test and I didn't need, you know, to bake them all off necessarily. I just like bake, you know, a tray or two to make sure that they were consistent and that everything was coming out correctly. But then I didn't want to throw the rest of the dough away. 
Yeah. So I would put that in the, I mean, I have so much cookie dough. If anybody needs cookie dough, you know yeah, where to find me. Yeah, you're the, <laughs> the go-to spot for cookie dough. No kidding. Yeah I, yeah, I assume with recipe, you probably needed your own freezer just for cookie dough. Yes. At that oh, point. and the butter, all the butter, yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, you know, like, worst problems to have, you know, I than know. having a bunch of cookies. <laughs> yeah. That's the life you lead. And I know oh, you yeah. mentioned, you mentioned you have kids, right? How old are they? I do. I have three girls. Um, oh, I'm one of three are, girls. I'm oh, one of three are? girls. Yep. Oh, I love hearing that. Yeah, I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. Me um, Yeah, so I have two in college, and they're in the Midwest. And I have one who just got a driver's license, so we don't see her Ooh. anymore. Um, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, three girls, and they're all kind of doing their own thing, which is great, because mom's got her own thing going on at the same time, and everybody's busy, and yeah, it's going well. It's so do they love cookies, too? They love cookies. Yes, they all do, which is great. That would be crazy if you had kids who like were not into it. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, what's funny is when I was doing my toffee business for so many years, I have one daughter who does not like the toffee. Like she I couldn't pay her to eat it. She just doesn't like it. And I was like, wait, you can't be my daughter. This is English almond toffee. It's amazing. And she's homemade. Like it's, you know, the real deal. She just could never wrap her head around and she just didn't like it so it's like okay but yeah they all love cookies I do have one daughter who is celiac she's gluten-free um mm. so which has actually been good for me because it challenges me to yeah make recipes for her that you know taste just as good as as regular cookies um yeah so yeah yeah everyone loves cookies I mean who doesn't love cookies come on but, yeah <laughs> that's what I was saying well you know I was kind of maybe wondering if you perhaps had a child who was like vegan or something like that but it is like you sort of answered my question then in that case because your daughter is celiac she you know it pushes you because that's you know a big thing in the gluten-free community is how baked goods it's very hard to find some that are as good and have the same kind of texture and mouthfeel and you know flavors as regular baked goods so it sounds like you know, for better or for worse, that's kind of pushed you in a way to recipe develop in that way. Because if you don't have to, it's almost like, why would you? But now here you are kind of catering to a whole community of people who are probably very grateful for you doing that work. Yes, yes, for sure. Yeah, she like, you know, she sometimes feels a little slighted because she's like, where's the gluten-free cookies? You know, so I have to quickly whip up a batch when she comes home from school, you know. Um, Yeah, and I do give some directions in the book, too, about gluten-free baking. Um, A lot of these recipes really can just swap the all-purpose flour for a gluten-free flour blend, um, Mm -hmm. and they're going to turn out very similar. I mean, I think we all know that a lot of times gluten-free flours have just a slightly different taste and texture. Um, but for the most part, most of these recipes translate fairly well into a gluten-free version. Well, that's lovely to hear. And, you know, yeah, yeah, unfortunately for your, for your one daughter, while everyone else is eating the normal cookies, it's, it's good and bad. It's a double-edged sword that, you know, she's able to enjoy almost the same, but very close to, it sounds like what you all are enjoying at home. And then, yeah, that kind of opens the door for all anybody who's reading your cookbook or anybody who has access to your recipes who is also dealing with those you know intolerances that yes. can do so as well so that's that's awesome that's really yeah. good to hear <laughs> yeah and was there anything else important about your book or cookies or your culinary journey that I haven't asked you yet um gosh no I don't think so I'm just super excited like I said to see everyone start baking from stuffed um 
I can't wait to see like what other combinations people come up with in the book. And um, we also have a chapter in the book that is savory um, that a lot of people might not know. Um, yeah. So we have a chapter called cocktail cookies. Um, so these are the cookies that you would make there. I probably technically should call them crackers. And I think some of them are, um, but they still have fillings and they're perfect for whipping up for, you know, happy hour or sitting on the porch on a Friday night with a glass of wine, um, you know, or dinner party, whatnot. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of a fun chapter. And again, that was sort of a, um, another little niche I kind of wanted to fill when I wrote this book, because I felt like a lot of cookie books don't address savory really at all. Um, so I just thought it was like a sort of a fun addition. What's an example of a savory cookie you have in there? Oh gosh. Well, we have a, a Parmesan Pizzelle. I don't know if you're familiar with Pizzelles, but I yes. um, do need a Pizzelle maker for them, but I will tell you it's worth buying one for sure. Um, so that's actually one of my favorites. Um, we have a cornbread cookie. Um, and probably one of my favorites is the lemon thyme shortbread. Yum. And then, yeah. And we're, yeah, th- there's a lot of really delicious combinations in this book for sure. So definitely worth picking it up. And I'd love to know what everyone thinks. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Heather, for getting me on the cookie train, for getting me excited about cookies and telling me about your, your journey and your, you know, your life and everything that led you to this point. And yeah, I mean, you are spreading the cookie gospel. So appreciate (laughs) you for that. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. What a blast. All right, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. It feels like a gift to be able to give this gift to people because I know that from my own experiences, I know how valuable, consolidated, Mm -hmm. incredible training resources are. They offer an in-depth education on all things cheese, as well as an active network for peer support and career development. You can pop over to the Quad, which is our social networking and engagement app. Um, And so that's a really fun and dynamic aspect of Cheese State University. Cheese State's three-part course is designed for seasoned pros and entry-level mongers alike and covers all the skills one needs to perform on the cheese counter. The structure of Cheese State University is all based on the Cheese State University Field Guide. Um, And that is a three-volume resource. It's all digital online. At the end of the course, students will be ready to ace the field guide assessment and earn their Cheese State Scholar Certificate. Another resource is a video series where we tackle sort of like these thornier questions that you can get on the cheese counter, like what is rennet? And like, why is this cheese so expensive? And can pregnant people even eat cheese? At Cheese State, you're among experts, you're among scholars, you're among cheese lovers, and most importantly, you are a monger. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at cheesestateuniversity.com. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed podcast is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.